a podcast on the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com. Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 109 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. I thank you for giving me some of your time today, and I hope this episode finds you well. I wanted to do a work theme for this week, and as I was thinking of phrases that would fit that theme, I had just finished reading and then watching The Firm. Because of that, I had on my mind thoughts of new jobs and having to be creative in your work, and that influenced the direction I went in. I share that with you just in case it seems like some of the phrases today don't fit the theme as well as others. Okay, that's enough rambling, so let's get to work learning today's phrases, origins, history, and more. Let's begin with learning the ropes. This one means to learn something, which seems obvious. But what do the ropes have to do with it? Many people think the origin of this one is nautical, going back to old-timey times ships. Long before the invention of engines, pretty much all ships relied heavily on sails to navigate the vast expanse of the oceans. Sails, and boats in general, require the use of ropes, which means that a sailor has to know how to tie knots. A new sailor has to learn how to tie and move the ropes, so they have to literally learn the ropes. Another theory is that this comes from theater, a profession that also uses ropes and knots, mainly to move and secure scenery. Whether it came from the sea or the stage, the first idiomatic known use in print comes from a travel memoir written by Scottish lawyer and artist James Skeen. Written in 1802, it was titled Italian Journey, and it included, quote, I am a stranger, and I beg you to show me how I ought to proceed. You know the ropes and can give me good advice. End quote. Now, this doesn't technically say learn the ropes, but it is referring to the same idea, that ropes were being used to reflect one's level of knowledge. In 1850, there was a book written called The Lorgnet, or Studies of the Town. I'm not certain who wrote it, as the author is listed as Ick Marvel, but it's also said to be written by John Timon, an opera-goer. In the book, we find, quote, the bell of two weeks standing, who has learned the ropes. End quote. So, while the exact origin seems to be unknown, it is likely that both the theater and sailing ships had a part in bringing this idiom to the vernacular. Now let's think outside the box. To think outside the box means to think unconventionally. It's used to refer to finding a creative new way to solve a problem. As popular as this saying is, you might think that it had been around for a while, but it's only about 50 years old. 
This saying is thought to have come from a puzzle called the Nine Dots Puzzle. If you've never heard of this puzzle, it consists of nine dots in a three-by-three grid, so it looks like a box. To solve it, you have to connect all nine dots without lifting your pen. The catch is you can only draw four straight lines, and it's impossible to do it without drawing some lines outside of the box. John Adair, a British academic, leadership theorist, and author, claimed to have invented this puzzle in 1969, which would fit with the timeline of the saying, which first comes into use in the 1970s. I'll come back to that in a moment. Before we look further at the saying, we need to look at when the puzzle actually first appeared. Samuel Lloyd was an American chess player, puzzle creator, and recreational mathematician. Side note, I'd never heard of a recreational mathematician before, so I didn't know that some people just sit around doing math for fun. Anyway, Lloyd included the Nine Dots puzzle in his Cyclopedia of Puzzles in 1914, although he called it the Christopher Columbus Egg Puzzle, which was an allusion to the story of the Egg of Columbus. So here's a bonus origin for you. If something is an egg of Columbus, then it's a seemingly genius idea or discovery that, after it's been thought up or discovered, seems obvious or simple. The story behind this saying is that Christopher Columbus challenged his critics to stand an egg on its end. When none of them could do it, Columbus took the egg, tapped the end lightly to slightly flatten it, and was then able to complete his own challenge. Girolamo Benzoni, an Italian historian and traveler, wrote about this in his 1565 book, History of the New World. He said that after successfully setting the egg on its end, Columbus said, quote, that after the deed is done, everybody knows how to do it, end quote. Now, the truth of this story is debatable, as a similar story had been published in 1550 by another Italian, this time a painter and architect named Giorgio Vasari. In his version, an Italian architect named Filippo Brunicelli had designed a dome, or cupola, for Santa Maria del Fiore in Florence, Italy. The cupola was large and heavy, and the city officials wanted to see his model. Filippo wouldn't let them see the model, but challenged them to a battle of wits to see who should get to build it. Here is what Vasari said took place after that, quote, that whosoever could make an egg stand upright on a flat piece of marble should build the cupola, since thus each man's intellect would be discerned. Taking an egg, therefore, all those masters sought to make it stand upright, but not one could find a way. Whereupon Filippo, being told to make it stand, took it graciously, and, giving one end of it a blow on the flat piece of marble, made it stand upright. The craftsmen protested that they could have done the same, but Filippo answered laughing that they could have also raised the cupola, if they had seen the model or the design. And so it was resolved that he should be commissioned to carry out this work. End quote. Whether it was an Italian architect or an Italian explorer that first put forth the egg challenge, it's easy to see why this is connected to the Nine Dots puzzle. The solution seems impossible, but is actually incredibly easy once you know how to do it. 
All right, so we've looked at old-timey times Italian challenges and 20th century puzzles, but when did the saying become a saying? I mentioned earlier that it came into use in the 1970s, and that's because the first known use in print is from Aviation Week and Space Technology, a weekly magazine from the U.S. aviation industry. In a July 1975 article, we find, quote, we must step back and see if the solutions to our problems lie outside the box. End quote. And yes, this says lie instead of think, but it's still considered to be the first time someone used the outside-the-box idea in print as an idiom, rather than in reference to the puzzle. Let's move on now to some turn-of-phrases tidbits. To have your work cut out for you means something will be difficult or take a long time. This one has an earlier version dating back to at least the 17th century, which was to have all one's work cut out. When you hear this version, it's not hard to see why this saying comes from tailors. In old-timey times, all sewing had to be done by hand. Once a tailor had all the fabric for a garment cut out, he still had all the sewing work ahead of him. But since the fabric was cut out, then all his work was literally cut out for him. In the early days of this saying, the cutting, or the preparation, could be done by yourself or someone else. Either way, the meaning stayed the same. We know people were turning the idea of literal work to idiomatic work by 1672, as we find it used that year by Thomas Jacome, an English clergyman. In his book, Several Sermons Preached on the Whole Eighth Chapter of the Epistle to the Romans, he wrote, quote, I resolved to fix upon some continued discourse in Holy Writ, where I might have my work cut out for me by the Spirit of God from time to time, by which being determined I might be freed from self-perplexing and time-wasting distractions. End quote. That's all for that one, so now, let's get fired. Today's other tidbit is to get a pink slip, which means to get fired. The origin of this one is pretty ambiguous, but many people think it came from literal pink slips of paper that were used to fire people. While this can't be proven, it is potentially possible, as there are stories about colored paper being used to give employees messages at the Ford Motor Company. Supposedly, the managers would slip a piece of paper into the lockers of assembly line workers at the end of each workday. A white slip of paper meant that they were able to come back and work the next day, but a pink slip of paper meant that they weren't needed back. It's not known for sure if this was a real practice, but the story is out there. Regardless of if this practice was real or not, the first use in print idiomatically seems to come from covering the look in corner which was a 1915 pulp novel about baseball, written by American writer Gilbert Patton. In it, he wrote, quote, And have Murphy hand me the pink slip tonight. End quote. So while we don't know the exact origin, we do know it was in use by the early 20th century. And with that, it's time for today's familiar quotation. Toppers, today's familiar quotation is from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Quote, Without ambition, one starts nothing. 
Without work, one finishes nothing. The prize will not be sent to you. You have to win it. End quote. Thank you, Mr. Emerson, for giving us today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words, Love Advice from Old Timey Times. Remember that this advice is over a hundred years old, and I'm sharing it for entertainment purposes only. Now, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't attempt to dictate to your husband on any subject. He won't stand it, and there will be trouble. But don't let him dictate to you. Always respond to reasonable persuasion, but let him see that although you are willing to be led, you are not to be driven. And now for the men. Don't keep your wife outside your business interests. It is foolish to say that she knows nothing about the business and therefore it can't interest her. You will often find, too, that her fresh mind will see a way out of some little difficulty that has not occurred to you. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 109. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, for details about the music I use in the show, and much more. Also, check out the show notes for links to the Podfix network and to my merch store. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Last but not least, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, see you next work. I mean, see you next week. Toodaloo! And now... This is... Let me rephrase. It's used to refer to creatively... <laughs> sounds weird. It's used to refer to creatively... Create... Hmm, that's reword that. Weird. Giro, no, no. <laughs> named DiGiorgio <laughs> Vasari. In his version, an Italian architect named Filippo Brunelleschi, Brunelleschi, named Filippo, 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 named Filippo Brunelleschi, since thus each man's intelligence Oh, intellect. <laughs> That's okay. An English clergyman. Cl- cl- clergyman? <laughs> Regardless of if... Of if <laughs> this was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.